Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hello and welcome to episode 4-441 of the Run Run Live podcast. And this week we talk about grateful running. Not the Grateful Dead, but grateful running with Mark White from the UK, who is leading a movement to combine gratitude and running. And gratitude, as we know, is a powerful thing. If you're feeling low or anxious, gratitude can alleviate those negative emotions and feelings because it's really hard to feel bad when you are grateful. It's a it's powerful and it's centering. And you can always be grateful for what you have and you can always adjust your focus to what you have versus what you don't have. And by definition, gratitude then engenders an attitude of abundance over an attitude of scarcity. And we all know how important that is. Well, it's been fairly quiet on the athletic side of the house as we continue to ride out the apocalypse here in New England. I've been sticking with my down schedule of three runs a week, three core workouts a week, and a bike ride. And at this point, as we get towards November, we're losing the sun, and that makes things a bit more challenging. We'll turn the clocks back in a week. And right now the sun doesn't come up until after 7 o'clock in the morning for me. And it sets before 6 p.m., which uh, is pretty not a lot of sunshine. And next week we'll get the morning sun back, but we'll totally lose the afternoon. There There it will dither about until the winter solstice in December to begin that slow climb back into the light of spring. And I've always been a night runner doesn't bother me, and a cold weather runner. It has its advantages, and it has its drawbacks. I mean, the leaves are mostly down now, as we have gotten a hard frost and a number of heavy storms, rainstorms with wind. So I'm finding, (laughs) the thing I find is my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. So it can be challenging when you run in the woods at night with the leaves down. You have to really slow down and pick your way along to keep from falling or turning an ankle. And sometimes you just lose the trail altogether. You find yourself running up into the woods because the leaves sort of white everything out. And the apocalypse hordes have added noticeable wear to my trails. And this increased volume of foot traffic this summer has brought out all the roots and the rocks. They're really popping out. But I guess there's positives, you know, about running at night. I don't have to worry about any of these daytime constraints, like having to worry about time. I can be out there as long as I want. No sense in hurrying. And I don't have to worry about sharing the trails with people, which means I can have Ollie off-leash without problematic interactions with busybodies. So I suppose there's a greater chance of running into some wild animals in the dark, but I'm not generally worried about that. We don't have anything too dangerous in our woods. Certainly nothing that's going to go out of its way to interact with me. I mean, the coyotes have been very active recently. And that worries me a little bit because I'm not sure Ollie, how Ollie would act, right? Or react to them. 
So a couple of nights, this and recently in the last month, the coyotes have been very vocal and very, very close to the house. And this is at night. They have their little ceremonies. I think it's when they kill something. They'll all just sit around and yip and howl for 10 or 20 minutes. And it's quite eerie, quite unnerving to be woken up in the dead of night by their canid keening in the front lawn. And last year was a mast year. I remember telling you about this, which means there's certain years when the oak trees produce more acorns and we have a lot of oak trees. And the trees do this sort of as a defense mechanism to outwit their predators. They basically produce more nuts on certain years. They produce more nuts than the squirrels and the chipmunks and the deer can eat and stash away. But the carry-on effect is that this creates a population boom in the squirrels and the chipmunk and the deer. And I'm guessing this year that meant a baby boom for the coyotes that prey on those. That and the uncommonly warmer weather, which we're all worried about. And why I care is that all this potentially means a bunch of hungry coyotes wandering around in the woods. And with coyotes, like humans, you don't really have to be afraid of them unless they're hungry and desperate, or if they get their hands on some Acme products. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Okie dokie. These are the six most Googled questions about running. Number one. How many calories did I burn running? Well, apparently, <laughs> the only reason anyone starts running is to lose weight. And make no mistake, running is a wonderful and simple exercise for burning calories. The off-the-cuff answer always given to the how many calories questions has traditionally been about 100 calories per mile. A more specific answer has to do with how many calories you burn per minute and that is dependent on how much you weigh and how hard you work. Bigger people burn more. Higher intensity exercise burns more. You can find charts online and get a better answer for you. But I'll add a couple of maybe important things from my experience. My body has adapted to running over the years, and I don't think I burn as many calories as someone less adapted. Does that make sense? I'm just not working as hard as a new runner or a big runner. And that being said, if I go out and run hard tempo or a set of hard intervals, I notice that there is a much higher burn rate. It just takes more fuel to work harder. So there's also a carryover effect from running, especially if you run in the morning. Your body continues to burn more calories after you've stopped. And finally... The length of time you're on your feet determines what kind of calories you burn, what type of calories. And again, generalizing, if you're out less than an hour, you're burning mostly stored carbohydrates, sugar, right? If you get past the hour mark, it's, uh, it's different for different athletes, but you will probably start to burn fat. And that's why you may see a big weight loss with longer efforts like marathon or ultramarathon training. Question number two on the six most Googled running questions. Should I stretch before running? Well, honestly, it's up to you. I used to stretch religiously and was convinced it helped. You know, I don't so much anymore. <laughs> I'd rather run than stretch. And I've become so accustomed to the running, I don't really need to stretch. If I drop into a specific training campaign for a race, I'll stretch more just so I can recover more quickly and stave off the injuries. Many coaches would tell you to limber up or warm up before a hard workout. And by this, they mean some form of dynamic stretching or other kinetic warm-up. Static stretching isn't super helpful when you're cold. So a good compromise might be to walk or jog lightly for a few minutes and then before you work out, and then do your stretching. And it's also useful to understand what stretching you need and what stretching you benefit from, because we're all different. 
You may discover certain hot spots that you need to focus on. And for me, it was always my Achilles and my hamstrings. All right, question number three from the six most Googled running questions. Does running build muscles? Why, yes, it does. You're going to find that the muscles that you use in running, they get more fit as you run. This is obviously anything in your legs, but also your core, meaning your back and your stomach. The, I guess, uh, bad news is that if you're looking to get on the cover of a fitness magazine for your classic Greek statue buddy, running probably is not the way to do it. Running long distances can take muscle away from your upper body. Yeah. So if you've ever seen these good distance runners, chances are they're built like a skinny greyhound. And personally, my experience is that uh, you know, while running will make you fit and strong. If you have a weird body shape, it's probably not going to help that. (laughs) Questions four and five, I'm going to group together because they're kind of the same. Four is, should I run with sore legs? And five is, can I run every day? And they seem to be poking at the same point. It's an important point because most injuries, especially in newcomers, are from doing too much too fast. And there's no reason why you can't run on tired legs or run every day, but that's not the point. The way to improve your running and to get the most benefit from it is through stress and recovery. You want to push the muscles and then give them a chance to recover. Fitness isn't built during the push part. Fitness is built when the muscles adapt during that recovery part. And when I was younger, I would run six or seven days a week when training for a, for a big event, a marathon. And that doesn't mean I was pushing every day. I would alternate hard workouts with easy runs. I was still getting the push and recover cadence just at a different level. And for some specific longer events like ultras, the training requires you to run on tired legs because that's what an ultra is. That's race-specific training. But for a beginner, I would keep it a three or four days a week Give yourself a chance. Give yourself the benefit of recovery. And number six, kind of a funny question. Does running get easier? (laughs) Some days it does. Some days it doesn't. The biggest thing you can do to make it seem easier (laughs) is to be consistent. Uh, Don't be erratic in your training with big surges in volume or intensity. There's really no shortcuts or short-term fixes. And that rule applies here, that you will tend to overestimate what you can accomplish in a month and underestimate what you can accomplish in six months or a year or two years. A consistent measured approach with lots of recovery will turn your running habit from a torture into a privilege over time. And finally, don't worry about comparing yourself to other people. Not me, not the people on Facebook who seem so fit and happy. This running, it's a gift to you. It's, it's, a, it's yours. It's a personal thing that you can do for yourself that will bring so many benefits. And don't compare yourself to prior versions of yourself. Today is today, and you are bringing the you that you have today. That's, that's what you're working with, if that makes any sense. You can't compete with a younger you. You can't compete with a skinnier you. But one thing you can do is you can show up today and tomorrow and every day after that with consistency and learn to love the gift. And now for today's featured interview. All right. So good morning, Mark. How are you? Good morning. morning. Give us the 200 words on who you are and what you're doing. Okay. Well, Helen, you've got... My name's Mark. My name is Mark, and uh, yeah, over in the UK, just outside of London, a county called Hertfordshire, which is where I call home. A little town called Hoddesdon. Been my home for forever, really. I've never strayed too far away from uh, where I live. I get a nosebleed. It's a bit of a running joke locally because uh, I do quite a lot of work where I live, just in the community. So yeah, I get a nosebleed if I stray too far away. But um, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I've got two girls, thirteen and fifteen. Very lucky. Been married. 14 years just gone so yeah fairly settled mate with um my responsibilities and uh i love getting outdoors i love looking after myself physically mentally and spiritually and uh i work hard more often than not in just trying to 
yeah, progress and seeing what I can contribute to the world. So what's this yeah. latest project? So the latest project is uh, an initiative called Run Grateful, which, uh, yeah, very excited about. Been overwhelmed with the response so far. It wasn't thought of pre-COVID, so it kind of took me by surprise somewhat. But, um, yeah, a few months in and uh, it's now a thing, which I'm very excited about the potential of it. So give me sort of the summary of what Run Grateful is and what it's becoming. Okay, so well, it started out, like I said, a bit, bit by accident, really. So a friend of mine who we committed this year to do a couple of ultra marathons, which is completely new for me. My relationship with running over the years since I started back in 2011 hasn't been about that, hasn't been about distance, hasn't been about PBs or anything of that nature. It's literally for my well-being just a time for me to go out and kind of yeah, just run really and uh but yeah as time has progressed my relationship has shifted slightly towards running so anyway cut long story short this year committed to doing a couple of ultra marathons with a friend of mine who really yeah just positioned it in a way during a conversation which was really attractive to me time on your feet time outdoors so i was like okay and then what happened happened everything was cancelled and then he made me aware of this uh, challenge of running a mile on the hour every hour for 24 hours, both miles. So I, I see it and because uh, I was talking about the David Goggins challenge of the four miles every four hours. And I was like, that's kind of in my mind, loosely uh, working towards it. But you need to, without stating the obvious, need a level of fitness. So he was like, well, listen, how about this mile on the hour? Good kind of lead into that. And so I committed to doing that very spontaneously. And my thing with it, uh, my little kind of added ingredient was that I was going to dedicate every hour to gratitude to somebody or something I was grateful for. And for that whole 24 hour period, I was going to share my gratitude. It's something I believe deeply about, something I've kind of had in and around my life, my daily practices for a number of years. So I know what it does for me and kind of, yeah, like I said, it's something um, I'm very passionate about. So I did it and it was an incredible experience, an incredible 24 hours, hyper-focused on gratitude, made me feel amazing. And obviously, I shared that with others. And at the end of it, I was like, this feels like it could be something because the messages yeah. I was getting and the, you know, the messages I was getting back and Run Grateful was born. So essentially, it started with that and it's since evolved. There's two or three strands to it now. One being that we've I wanted that all-inclusive nature around it. So now we've opened it up globally to... Anybody can go and run a grateful mile or walk a grateful mile. And the invitation is that they tag us in for what they're grateful for. And we can kind of connect the world through gratitude using running as, as the vehicle. So that sounded like it was accessible. It sounded like it could grow and it sounded like it could really bring value to the, to the world. Not just now, you know, the predicaments were a lot of us are in, but just forever, really. Gratitude is always a, a great thing to explore and to kind of practice and uh, and if you can use um, your runs daily or weekly runs wherever consistent you are or walks as an opportunity to think about gratitude and what that means to you then um, yeah it felt like something we could open up and then very recently when I finished here very recently we facilitated an event where we got runners from across the UK uh, to a running track and we took on that 24-hour challenge and uh, we've yeah. done some other stuff around it. And that was an amazing experience, which we're looking to take across the world yeah. and where we are COVID-wise. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting combination of things for people to have an epiphany or to sort of re reprogram, right? Because yeah. you you look at gratitude and certainly a gratitude practice is part of any sort of wellness practice you're going to do, mm -hmm. right? There's all these yeah. habits around writing down the five things you're grateful for before you go to bed or yeah. Having it as part of your morning routine. What am I grateful for? Right. And it really flips the switch in you because it's really hard to be depressed when you're thinking about what you're grateful for. Right. Mm -hmm. It's really mm -hmm. hard to be in a scarcity mindset when yeah. you're thinking about what you're grateful for. But then yeah. when you combine it with running, it's almost like a classic uh, sort of programming. So I think uh, about ultra marathon, right, where you're out for 29, 30 hours, right? And the yeah. emotional arc that people go through in that, mm -hmm. right? And how it like strips them bare, cool. right? And they find imagine. these places that they've never been. Or even, uh, you know, one of these 24-hour relay races where you have six or 12 people and you're going straight through the night to do a 120-mile race, right? Mm -hmm. uh, some of those relay races. Same thing, you get that camaraderie. Those yeah. people you may have never met before, but now yeah. they're, you've spent time with them in the trenches, so to speak. They're like best friends, right? Mm -hmm. There's something very primal to combining those two things 
I hate to say it, but it's almost like a, a cult strategy to get the physical deprivation and then lay on the programming on top. Yes. Yeah, I understand, um, yeah. But in a positive way. Yeah. Hopefully that didn't come out wrong. No, no, because yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So you know, it is. Did, and I, 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 do, do you see those sort of epiphanies with people as they're going through this? Oh, completely. Yeah. yeah. And that's been part of the, the overwhelming, really, for me that. What works for myself and my own kind of yeah, daily habits, practices, whatever way you want to uh, describe it, they obviously bring value to my life. And as a consequence of that, the ripple effect that has, you know, in my, my wider network, i.e. my household and kind of my friendship group. So, so I know that it brings value. It's not rocket science for me. But what isn't obvious is if you're not kind of used to practicing these things, if you're not in that kind of habit, if, you know, gratitude for me, most people have heard the word gratitude before, right? It's a kind of a, a global word. It's something that's used, you know, mostly every day and you read it and you hear it and you kind of see it. But what does it actually mean for us? You know, how can we kind of practice it? And it's that kind of glass half full mentality, as you've alluded to. There's always something to be grateful for, no matter who you are, where you're from, what your circumstances are. If we can really focus on that, then, yes, it's much harder to kind of feel negative stroke kind of uh disheartened about certain things and kind of because if you fall in that rabbit hole which i've done before you know we're all human beings and you know, we all deal with things in different ways and you know depending on what we're going through or been through it's hard sometimes to have that glass half full mentality and not to blame others or all that kind of stuff so yeah there's that relationship with, with gratitude and running just felt like a natural for me anyway it's just a natural coming together with the the everyday life and how you get caught up as we kind of all experience time flies one day rolls into another day and before you know it a whole week's gone so just like when I went out for my runs which I kind of make time for whether I get up really early before everybody else as you've done walking your dog or go really late I always seem to find time for running so it just felt like a natural coming together that I use that as my invitation to just yeah it's just kind of just debrief with myself okay Mark where you at what you're doing where you're going what you're grateful for it's kind of that mindful element to it as well, where if I was having a you know, not so great day, I could just look around me. I was out here, yeah. I've got two yeah. arms, I've got two legs, and uh, I'm out. And it's particularly important these days, like you said, with since we're in the middle of the uh, zombie apocalypse here, but more importantly, the politics of today. And even before that is sort of the cultures that we're immersed in are always about not having enough, right? Every yeah, message yeah. you get from Wall Street, from the advertising folks, every message you get is yeah. trying to tweak that fear, right? Mm -hmm. I don't, not having enough, not being good enough, being too fat, being too, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's how they can move you emotionally to buy something or to yeah. do something. Yeah. Um, so what we find is that triggers being pressed all the time externally in our society. And those yeah. of us who are smart enough can sort of turn that trigger off, just mm -hmm. stop paying attention to it, but it's still there. And a gratitude practice is a great way to flip the switch. And obviously running is a great way to flip the switch on all that stuff as well, because running in itself brings you those happy chemicals and yeah. and a lot of the fitness and the other things to make your life better mm -hmm. just in, in general, right? But yeah. as you've got these people out there, you get 10 people out there on a track. Mm -hmm. So you're starting at eight o'clock in the morning and going through eight o'clock in the morning. Is that what you're doing? Well, there's no set rule. So whatever way you want to do it, you know, then just play with it and just see, because that is one of the invitations that Run Grateful is that you take on this challenge from your front door. Yes, there's that part of it where we are now looking to facilitate these experiences uh, globally. But uh, we started out, I think our first, so you start with 5K. Yep. Uh, so run, collectively run over 5K. There. Yep. Yeah, so 5K. And then it's the mile on the hour every hour. And we started, uh, I think it was 10 a.m. And then, um, yeah, so it just means that all the miles adding up is that marathon distance. So it's a great way of doing the marathon, which is what Bo did. He decided in between every hour to, to complete tasks around the house. It's a great YouTube film. I'm actually speaking to Bo on uh, speaking to Bo on Sunday, which would be amazing. So instead of doing tasks, which my wife wasn't happy about, yeah, I did a few when I first did it. But you know, my thing was the gratitude. And um, so yeah, when we when we put on the event, we started off and uh, all strangers. Largely, there was like a couple of people out of the group that half knew each other. But yeah, on the, on the whole, it was uh, a new experience for all. They'd never done it that way. Some of them had never done a marathon distance. Uh, let alone over a 24-hour period. Yeah. A lot of them had different relationships with gratitude. So it's just for my own, not education, but for, for my own 
point of view, it's really interesting to see, yeah, other people, how they took part, kind of what their judgment was prior, what they were letting themselves in for, because there's loads of strands to it. It was uh, on paper, although you could never snooze. It wasn't uh, frowned upon, but it was 24 hours that you're staying up for, uh, plus the marathon distance, plus the mile on the hour. If they were able runners, in inverted commas, to the naked eye, I could do a mile on the hour. It's only a mile, he right. says. It's a long way for some, so I'm not belittling how far that is. But so you, you, yes. you're doing a real mile on that track? That's a metric track, so four laps isn't really a mile. Yeah, we've done, we done four miles. So for most of us, we've done a little bit over the marathon distance in a day. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to lie, so, a few extra steps. So typically with a group like that, whether it's, like I said, a 24-hour relay or any of those sort of events, it, it starts out with a lot of enthusiasm in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And there's this sort of low part where the sun's going down and yeah. it's not fun anymore. And yes. then as you get to the end, that emotional curve starts to go up again, right? Yeah. And did you exactly find that? that? Yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, collectively as well. I mean, some more than others. Yeah, different picks and troughs in regards to uh, depending on what hour of the day it was. But you had one guy in particular that springs to mind called Sean. Not, and he, he would himself um, suggest he wasn't a runner. He just got into running. The distance he'd ordinarily been used to was 5K. So this was far beyond. But he went out to do that first 5K, the first one of the day, and I think he got a PB. He smashed it. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, he didn't think too far ahead, bless him. So he was struggling. First come to the second, third, fourth run, fourth hour would come. He was, yeah, not in the, the greatest. of. Uh, he wasn't as enthusiastic, put it that way. But he still did it. He still completed it, which is funny. And uh, yeah, listen, some people um, chose to walk some of the miles. Some people chose to stay up for the whole 24-hour period. Some people had little cat naps in between. But you've, you've mentioned, um, again, that kind of, that relationship you have with the other people that are involved in it as well, that togetherness, you know, that really shone through quite quickly. So you do find that you're all in it together and there's that bit of banter around it and everyone kind of egging each other on. And we filmed the whole process and we're launching the premiere of the film. It's like a nine-minute film um, on Thursday, actually. We captured the whole process and uh, the ups and the downs and the the midnight hours. And, uh, yeah, it's really great. So how are you funding all this stuff, my friend? Is this one of those UK things where everybody just gets paid to do whatever they want? Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's funded by me at the moment. I believe in it. I don't see it as a business in inverted commas. I really want this to, without sounding too fancy and romantic, but with some of the other work that I do in life, I'm this way inclined where I just wanted to impact as many people's lives as humanly possible. Like that comes first. That's my mentality. That's my drive. That's my passion. But yeah, listen, lots of harshness, if you want to call it that, of the world means that there needs to be a transaction somewhere to so I can carry on doing this. And as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, it, it kind of come out of nowhere. I've no plan for this, no strategy or anything. So we're looking to have the right partners that believe in our vision, wanting to connect the world. We want every single human being at some point in life to run or walk a grateful mile with us and tag us in so we can have this whole web of gratitude. So I've got my eye on a couple of potential global partners that could come in and support it financially so we can enable people to do it for free because that's one of my things as well. Like Running is free, right? It's been around forever and it will be around forever. And I want it to be accessible for all Um, i don't want to monetize the the beauty of running really but the framework around this and kind of yeah how we're looking to build this global network of gratitude etc i've got some ideas about how we can really build this conversation around um, how people view gratitude who does it who doesn't do it why don't you do it and for that you need to build content you need to have conversations you need to speak to different people in different ways so you can kind of just build momentum around that chat yeah, you have to build a community around it, right? Yeah, for it to get yeah. that momentum. We've all seen successful models of that, right? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. You know, whether it's for profit or, or for uh, idea, you know, once you build the community, then you have the fuel, the rocket fuel you need. But it's a good idea. And the timing is great right now where we are in the zombie apocalypse here, where mm-hmm. people are really looking for a reason to do something, yeah, anything, yeah. and to also not be miserable. Right. Yeah. And you you can just see that everywhere. So anybody who has any kind of event right now where people can interact. Yeah. It really does well. That seems like that will be our reality. I'm hesitant to say in the worst of circumstances, but who knows 
or worse things could happen. But based on what has happened so far and how we're having to adapt here in the UK, I think it was similar to yourselves over there, but we were all given an hour, at least an hour to go out and kind of move our feet and kind of just get out the, the front door. So even with that in mind, if that was to kind of come back at any point of time in the future, then yeah, to go out, I mean, I'm all, even if you were to walk it 15, 16, 17 minutes, worst case scenario, so you like to think no matter where we find ourselves, COVID or not, that run grateful is something that can kind of continue. A lot of the other work that I get up to away from run grateful community work is event based largely. So predominantly offline engagement and that was all postponed and it was kind of at a standstill, had to cancel and uh, other bits. So yeah, with run grateful, um, it does feel like this can continue and, and there's a good time to kind of yeah, really heighten that conversation, as you mentioned, that we can have with people around how they're looking after themselves and things they can do to, to progress mentally and physically, to kind of give themselves the best chance to deal with whatever life throws at us. Yeah. So how did you get around the travel and the gathering restrictions to do this in September? Was that when there was sort of a break in the restrictions in the yeah, UK? Yeah. I mean, there's still a, a rule of 30. So we're, we went under the 30 rule. So yeah, we managed that accordingly. But I quite liked it anyway. We didn't present it in that way because of the guidance and the, and the rules that are in place. I like that close-knit feeling around this, that kind of, especially with the gratitude. And people can kind of go quite deep with this. You don't necessarily have to, but it can provoke thoughts and feelings within you about, okay, what am I going for? I think this certain way, and why do I think that way? So, And for that to kind of, for us to support people in whatever journey they were going to go on for that 24 hours and beyond, it's really important that we kind of create this close-knit energy. So it just kind of yeah worked out that you know we couldn't have x amount of people regardless but i thought you know whether that opens up in the future and there's an opportunity to have more people i've always seen it as 24 people 24 hours that's got a bit of a ring to it so that'll be yeah yeah i think so i think you got to keep it small or otherwise you lose that feeling of camaraderie absolutely yeah yeah so Um, it's good and you can see it grow as long as there's a track and some runners stroke walkers then yeah we could kind of put this on uh, depending on what partners we have back in us, obviously, uh, we can put it on wherever in the world. So if somebody had like a running club someplace in Cleveland, Ohio, and they want to do one of these events with your guidance, how do they do that? What do you tell them? What's the coaching? Well, at the, the moment, um, on rungrateful.com, they can sign up for free and they get a free digital pack and gratitude list and some lo- lovely little assets we've created that people can download. So they can sign up for free and just go and run and walk a grateful mile. Just tag us in and, uh, and just build on that, that story that we're looking to kick off. So we've already got over 50 countries involved in that, which is great. We've got another Run Grateful weekend coming up, 24th and 25th. Uh, so if you're a running club, yeah, engage with us in, in that capacity. And as it grows, you know, as people, if it resonates with people, if they love the idea of it, if they want to kind of take on the 24-hour challenge, we've already had a CrossFit gym really randomly that got in touch when we first did it, the first weekend, actually, that we kind of opened it up to the world. Uh, They were in Malaga in Spain, and there was about uh, 15, 16 of them that took on the the 24-hour mile on the hour. So it lends itself to, yeah, little micro groups of just mates. But then they have to do do a bunch of burpees and box jumps in between too, right? Well, we don't say you don't have to, but I recommend (laughs) you don't um, because, I mean, I don't know how it sounds to some, but, uh, yeah, it's not easy. The mails come around quick, and uh, no yeah, matter what way yeah. you look at it, you're still doing a marathon in a day. So yeah. uh, I would the, imagine the that, I would imagine taking those long breaks doesn't help, right? Because I I ran the Boston Marathon virtually in my neighborhood uh, this mm-hmm. year last month, and I have yeah. a one k loop, and I just did the one k loop forty two forty three yeah. times. Oh right? wow, okay. But yeah. I had my my truck set up as a aid station. Yeah, and so I stopped for a minute every loop. Mm-hmm. Which adds up. I was surprised how much time that adds up to. Yeah. Um, but if you had to stop longer than that, and this is true when, when you run an altruist too, you don't want to stand still for more than two to three minutes because mm-hmm. your body forgets that it's running, right? So yes, I would think yeah. taking those long breaks yeah. around, around those miles is not necessarily helpful. No, but that is what I was really curious about. It's just like, 
I mean, I first did it. I had no idea that I was going to be talking to you about what we've done over the last few months and where we want to be going in the future. But that's what I was really curious about. How, how would this look? Kind of how, how will these hours come? How will I feel towards the end? How am I going to feed myself? How am I going to stretch? And then when I was kind of immersed in this gratitude, because when I got back from every hour, I was thinking about that experience and that person I was grateful for. I was jotting things down. I was sharing about it on my Instagram in particular. And then there they kept on coming. And then I opened it up uh, once the idea of one grateful come to mind. And I just wanted to get a bit of clarity as to what that looked like and how I could kind of create something. Then my experience was a different one because other people were now doing it. And I felt a sense of not responsibility, but I was aware that this was okay. This wasn't just me doing it from my front door. Yeah. And then putting on the event and things like that, my and doing it around the track with other people, that was yet another experience. So I really invite people to, to take on the challenge because it is really insightful about as you mentioned, kind of uh, stopping, starting, kind of if you are an ultra runner, this is a completely different way of running compared to what you're used to. And yeah, just my curiosity around that stuff was, well, it led me to do it because I was just intrigued. So how did these people feel a couple of days after they got a little rest? How did they feel? Were they actually sore from doing this or were they? did they feel pretty beat up? Well, bit of a mixed bag, I suppose... You've alluded to it a couple of times. Uh, when you're part of something unique, yeah. it is unique and it's kind of collectively what it is and getting people together that they know each other, etc. Most of them for a few days afterwards mentally were just buzzing. I mean, I just really felt that sense of that they'd done something incredible and they put themselves through a physical and mental challenge and that togetherness kind of really spurred them on throughout the week. Physically, yes, yeah, some... Had a few massages. Uh, one of my things is another thing I'll practice is cold water and uh, an ice bath and breathing and, uh, and things of that nature. So I did take my ice bath with me. And I think that actually helped some that chose to jump in with the recovery of the, of the muscles afterwards. So, uh, But not everyone chose to, to jump in the ice bath. Um, so we, we captured their faces on camera for those that did want to jump in, which is quite funny to yeah. look back on that. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah, but a lot of them wanted to do it again. They were like, this is great. And there are people that have done marathons before just really love that, that different way of doing it. And with the gratitude included, which was ultimately the major difference to what they were used to, they just I, really I got a deep sense of the value that that brought. I would say it's very achievable and approachable for anybody who's a casual runner, right? And, yes. And, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, the hardest part is probably staying awake. Yeah, and fuel. Like, what do you do? Do you snack and, uh, and all that kind of stuff? But yeah, it's, de- it's definitely achievable. I mean, I would say if people are thinking, okay, I like the idea of that, but I've never done anything uh, distance-wise. I would say if you've got 10K in your legs yeah. like, from start to finish, it doesn't have to be obviously a mad fast 10K, but as long as you can go out from your front door and do a 10K, I would say you can take this on tomorrow. Yeah, this challenge yeah. tomorrow. Yeah, um, yeah. And those, having, yeah, having those little recovery breaks and being able to walk, it's yeah, that's not a hard ask. All right, well, I'll let you go. What are the the links and and other things people can do to find you? And give no, us your uh, Insta- give us your Instagram account too, so we can see those. Uh, yeah, uh, Instagram is uh, one the, the number one grateful run, okay. and then we've got uh, rungrateful.com, and there's kind of like the the signpost to the other bits and pieces we've got going on. But yeah, rungrateful.com and, and rungrateful run is the best places to, to to go to and find out a bit more. And then we've got the, just for yourself, largely, I don't know when this is uh, looking to go out, but um, if we've missed the boat, never mind. Um, but we've got the next Global Grateful Mile event going on this weekend. So uh, Okay. Well, I mean, I'll be running this weekend no matter what happens. So. Well, make one of your miles a grateful one and make tag us in. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we'll be glad to have you part of it. And uh, and then, yeah, we'll see where we are in 2021 with some of the events and some of the plans we've got. But um, Yeah, I mean, the way we're going, I'm, I don't see any of the majors going off this spring either. So no. people are going to be looking for something to do. Yeah, 100%. So hopefully there's an invitation there to do so with us. So uh, All right. Yeah. All right, my friend. Pleasure talking to you. Yeah, and yourself. Thank you very much. Take care. Keep on moving. Take care, mate. See you soon. Bye-bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Getting things done. Again. (laughs) Some tips for you to survive and work your agenda in this new frenetic world. So I have recently returned to David Allen's seminal work, Getting Things Done. I had read this book and loved it many years ago, but like so many other useful things I have learned, 
I declared the process complete and moved on. But these last couple weeks, I returned to it. So what can you learn or relearn from this? Many things. First, the act of reading a master's work does not make you a master. And I'm really good at skimming through theoretical works at a shallow level. I uh, pick up enough to, uh, understanding and vocabulary to sound like I understand it, which is fine if your goal is to bullshit your way through a conversation. But if your goal is to apply and master a body of knowledge, you got to practice. It takes practice. Second, when I first worked with getting things done, I kind of stuffed it. I pigeonholed it. I categorized it like we humans do as a tactical set of tools applicable to tactical things. And I mused at that time, and you can go back and look at this article. I'm sure I said this. I said, you know, the downside of this type of tool set is that it misses the bigger picture, the why. It focuses on checking off tasks instead of finding ways to pull the big levers that can change your life. And getting things done is tactical. But it is tactical on purpose because it realizes that the biggest issue most of us face is clearing the decks of the tactical stuff to make mental and emotional room for the larger exploratory missions. And third, it's been 20 years since the book was written, and a lot has changed. Work has changed. We are globally connected to our task list now. We need better ways to defend our time and our sanity. And we're 24-7. And there's the real possibility that you can spend an entire day just reacting to other people's agendas. And Mr. Allen's, he's, he's updated this and globalized getting things done in the latest edition. So why did I go back to getting things done? Why did I, why did I make this trip? Well, in my latest work role, I found that I was basically getting out of control. My default strategies were not as applicable to the environment that I found myself in. So let me explain. My default strategies is basically to look for those things that have an outsized impact on myself and the goals of the organization and focus on doing those well. And this means look at the job and say, hey, right, what are the important things? Because you can't do everything. And by selecting out those important things, you can have a bigger positive impact than just rigorously executing the next task on the list. But what I found in this new role, especially during the apocalypse, the smaller tasks required some sort of action. And when I was working in a startup or leading an organization before in previous roles, I could just choose not to do those tasks or have someone else do them. Now I'm in a larger organization, I'm inheriting urgent tasks that while they may not be important to me, are important to someone. <laughs> and that makes them important to me. But the net result is that I could have an entire week's worth of priority shifted by one customer problem. Or a, on a smaller scale, an hour or two worth of focus time swept clean by some urgent fill-out-this-spreadsheet request from within the organization. And when your calendar gets superseded like that at a moment's notice, what happens to those things that you were planning to do? Well, they either become outstanding items that now have their own time pressure that need to be rushed through at a lower quality, or they fall off the plate entirely and become missed opportunities. You don't write that letter. You don't make that phone call. You push the meeting out another month. You don't do the follow-up especially the follow-up. With cascading emergency tasks and back-to-back -back Zoom calls, I found the one place I was really falling down was on the follow-up. And it can be a downward spiral. You never catch up. At some point, you get so far behind, you just give up. And even a sanguine, balanced, and experienced person starts to get work anxiety. You start to miss things. You start to deliver lower quality work. You have mental overhang of things undone. And another thing I found was that the global Zoom call world is particularly exhausting and time consuming. I'm a longtime business traveler. This is not my native way to work. Some people don't like travel for business, but it was a big part of my life and my career, and I enjoyed it. I've traveled all around the world, and I have methods and systems 
to use that travel time to my advantage. But with the apocalypse, I have lost all that. So now I could be in a stand-up Zoom call from 7.30 in the morning to 6.30 in the evening with no breaks. And this is not only exhausting, but provides very few long chunks of time to work on bigger projects, those, those lever things. And by the end of the day, your energy level is so low that you can't get anything requiring deep thought or creativity done. So this schedule does provide some time. It provides little chunks of time that are hard to get anything done in unless you have a strategy to do so. And I found I was losing a lot of these little chunks of time and that at the end of the day, they add up to a significant lost opportunity to get things done. These little half hour, 20 minute, 15 minute chunks. That's when I had the epiphany, right? Even though I'm not a tactical person by nature, I needed to get tactical and get good at swimming in this soup of tactical that I find myself in or drowned. And that's when I turned, once again, to the master of mastering the tactical, David Allen, and getting things done. Once more. So David has a simple formula for getting things done. The first thing he realizes is that you need to capture everything, no matter how big or how small. Because your brain wasn't designed to hold all these unfinished tasks. It takes energy to hold all this in your brain. And once you start capturing and offloading all these things into some place you can trust, your brain can get, can let them go and think about other things and get back to work. So that's step one. You have to capture everything. And the next step is to triage these things as they come in. Even if you don't know what to do with them, at least write them down, store them so you can get back to them. It really doesn't matter what form this inbox takes, whether it's on paper or in some sort of system, as long as you're capturing everything and putting it in a secure place with an imp- as appropriate a context as possible. So sorting it when it comes in. So it turns out that most people will have a list of open tasks that is 100 to 500 items long at any point in time. And I found that to be true. And these tasks will be a combination of work tasks and personal tasks. And they can be urgent short-term tasks like get little Billy to the ball game on time or complete the report. But they can be future someday tasks like learn how to figure skate or establish a better relationship with my customer. So in order to get these things done, you need to know one thing. What do I do next? What do I do today? What do I do now? And this is his concept of next steps. For each of these tasks, what is the next action that needs to be taken? That's what you really need. What's next? And you put that discrete action into your task list and into your calendar. Because some of these tasks aren't tasks at all. Learn how to figure skate, that's not a task. It's a goal, maybe. But to get that desired figure skating prowess, it's a project with a number of steps. In order to get anything done about this, you'll need to know what the very next step is. Maybe it's talk to a coach. Maybe it's buy skates. Whatever that is, that is the task that falls into your task list. That's what you have to get done today. And finally, I'm not doing this justice. I'm just giving you an overview here. But finally, the only way to keep the right tasks on your agenda this week or today is to look at the list of everything you have to do, all these things, at least once a week. And this planning session, it will mollify your brain's desire to have everything accounted for. So you don't have to think about it. And it'll allow you to come up with your short list of, out of all this stuff, here's the things I want to do, and start dropping them into the calendar. And I'm just starting this process of getting reorganized around these principles again. I have done it before, and my goal is to be able to make sure I capture everything and don't miss or drop anything. Then to be able to fit the work I have to do, right, this things that need to get done more efficiently into the time I have in such a way that I still have the time I need to do the things I want to do. Because that's the other thing, right? If you don't do this well, it takes over your life. 
and then you don't get to do the things you want to do. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, my friends, we have run a mile every hour with gratitude to the end of episode 4-441 of the Run Run Live of the Run Run Live podcast. I didn't hear from anyone in response to my question last episode as to whether or not anyone has binge listened to all the Run Run Live podcast from beginning to end and are just now arriving at the end. Of course, unless I get eaten by a coyote or a giant tree sloth, this won't be the end. Next episode, right? Time flows on by. It's fall, the leaves are down, the harvest is in, the frost is on the pumpkin, the sun has moved its seasonal home to more southern climes, and here we are, you and I, staring down another long New England winter. So today, I have a bunch of product reviews and sort of shopping suggestions for you. You know, it's a season, right? It's the traditional gift-giving season. Well, first... In general, I'd like to ask you to think about pulling back from the the big guys, right? Those monopolistic online retailers that we all know and think about. And think about helping, you know, someone smaller or someone local to you because they're all struggling these days. So this isn't all bad. You can still buy online. And the way you do this is to patronize the starving artist websites for your holidays like Etsy or some of these other aggregators that aggregate a bunch of small vendors together. And they have some unique stuff. You know, these folks, they go out and make it in their garage with 3D printers made with love by anarchists and crafters. (laughs) And think about your independent or local university bookstore. They're not doing so well either. I ordered some tote bags from the Harvard bookstore as these aren't easy times for them. More homeless than scholars wandering around Harvard Square these days. I have a couple of products that I've found that I really like, and the first is a company called 32 Degrees. And this is, you know, over the course of the last six to nine months. Uh, These guys make clothes, but they uh, specifically make some really good technical underwear that I really like. Not specifically for athletes, but I found it to be affordable, super comfy, and I can run in them. I got some of their t-shirts as well to wear under my dress shirts, and those are comfy as well. And I don't have any sponsorship relationship here, folks. I just like the product. And of course, I'm talking about men's underwear. I don't know anything about women's underwear. I think I may be actually violating local laws just uttering the phrase women's underwear, but they have those too. And another product that I'm surprisingly happy with is a Bluetooth headset from Let'scom, and I'll link all this stuff. I got these this headset off of Amazon for under 20 bucks, so they're cheap, but they're holding up well. And the controls are nice and easy to work with, the volume and the skip ahead and all that stuff, and the battery life is awesome. So I've been using them to listen to podcasts while I'm painting this year. I also have ordered a bunch of stuff from nuts.com. So surprisingly enough, they sell nuts. Yeah. But they also sell loose tea. And now that I'm stuck at home all the time, I'm going through a lot of tea. And I like to make my own dosage with the reusable silicone tea bags, which are another excellent gift idea. Those reusable tea bags. But the trick with uh, nuts and dates and any dried fruit is you want to read the label really carefully. You want to make sure they don't have added sugar or sulfur or anything else in them. So what I'll do is I'll make my own trail mix by buying up the dry, you know, buying the dried fruit and the nuts, and I buy them in bulk, and I mix it together. And the problem with the commercial trail mix is there's always full of sugar. The fruit is always sugared, and that's no good for you. So last but not least, I have been experimenting with running vests. I bought one from Aeonigy. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Uh, And the first one they sent took like four months for me to get. I think I ordered it back in March and I didn't get it till like July. And when I got it, it was like, (laughs) it was like Barbie doll size. So, you know, read the fine print. 
And this was an order that I put on an outfit called Wish.com, an aggregator, and they're terrible. It was terrible service, terrible everything, terrible experience. So if anyone needs a super small running vest, shoot me a note and I'll send it to you. No problem. It's just riding around in my truck. Then I got the right size of an Aeon Niji vest from another outfit. I think I actually ordered it from an Instagram post. And it's good. I like it. It hangs nice and high and light on your shoulders for those times when you just want to carry your phone or the dog's leash. And I I have the two liter bladder and the bottles for it, but I haven't even tried those yet because I didn't get it until after the hot season was already over. But I think it's a good alternative to the old style hydration backpack that I've been using for decades. And finally, a startup company called Free Train sent me a vest to try. And this vest is specifically to carry your phone in such a way that you can get to your phone without taking it out while you're doing your sport. And it's a lot like a sports bra in construction, I would imagine, because I've never actually worn a sports bra, but it's what I would imagine that to be like. And you put the phone in a pocket in the front of your chest, like where Iron Man's reactor is, right? Right between your boobs. And this pocket flips down with a snap, and it's got a little plastic window so that you can poke at your phone without taking the phone out. And that's what it does. <laughs> it's a single-purpose piece of equipment. And I will confess right now to you folks that I am probably not their target demographic. Um, I'm probably not going to use it much. So if one of you thinks this is a problem you need to solve, being able to poke at your phone when you're out doing your sport, I will re-gift it to you as well. And speaking of re-gifting, I also have uh, right now... I've read through the Jack Campbell Lost Fleet series in honest-to-goodness mass-market paperback. So if anyone likes hard science fiction with not much hard thinking required, I'll send you uh, that as well. Not a problem. It's like Horatio Hornblower in space. And that's enough shop talk for today. If anyone has something they'd like me to write about, please send me a note at cyktrussell at gmail.com. I'm always looking for content and ideas and topics. And as our friend Mark White would remind you, it's always a good time to focus on gratitude. And these days, we're all stressed out about what we can't do or don't have. And you don't have to be that way. You can flip that around. I'm sure we've got things we can be grateful for, like trails and dogs and fresh water and sweet fall air, crisp to the taste. So take a second wherever you are, and think of three things that you're grateful for right now. And then carry that with you into the swirl of your week to counterbalance the buffeting drifts of scarcity. Happy Halloween. I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed. So hard it made him cry. There once was a boy named Brian Sheff. Um, um, he had a certain notion. Um, um, but he doesn't know where she's coming from He doesn't know where he's going to He wants to love her But he cannot find her An awesome figure cuts Uh-huh.